Genesis 39. We'll be looking at the whole chapter today. In last chapter, we had uh, continued to look at what was going on in Canaan while Joseph was in Egypt. We saw Judah and what happened to him, his children, uh, to uh, Tamar, and eventually uh, God working in their life in such a way that Judah uh, began to repent and, and be convicted of, of his sin. But in the meantime, and all of that did take quite a bit of time that we looked at, uh, in the meantime, uh, Joseph was in Egypt. And we'll pick up then with that today as we read chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for uh, directing us by your word and for assuring us of your grace in it. We pray that you would help us to remember what has been read, to meditate upon these things, that we might understand them, and that our faith may be strengthened, and that we might be equipped for your service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of this passive passage, at the beginning of this passage, Joseph suffered a serious setback. His life had taken an unexpected turn for the worse. This is not how he thought his life was going to go. He had been there in Canaan. He had been with his father and his brothers. He was rising in the estimation of his father. He had become somewhat of an overseer. His father had sent him to check on his brothers. He was de- considered dependable to give back a, uh, a report as he had done previously. He had uh, been given this robe. But now he had been ripped from his home, betrayed by his brothers, placed in bondage in a foreign land in Egypt. And at the end of this passage, Joseph suffered another serious setback. He was in prison. He had gone further down. How discouraging these events must have been. How isolating they must have been. Who was left to him? His brothers even had betrayed him. His, his master had been the one to put him in prison. Perhaps you have suffered trials or setbacks or betrayals. Perhaps your life at some point has taken an unexpected turn for the worse, leaving you discouraged or isolated. Even if you haven't experienced significant trials recently, passages like this are important to prepare you so that you might be ready when trials come. You know, after the negative examples of Simeon and Levi and Reuben and Judah and Ur and Onan, it's refreshing to see a positive example of faithfulness and endurance as we find in this passage. Despite his mistreatment, Joseph pressed on and continued to be a faithful worker, even as he had been at home. He was devoted to his God, and that expresses itself especially in temptation. And what strengthened him and what should strengthen you and me is that the Lord was with him. And that is, it has to be a main point of this text because it's mentioned at least four times in verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, verse 23. The Lord was with Joseph. All others might betray him or be far from him, But the Lord was with him. Even though he wasn't in the land of promise, the Lord was with him. The Lord would not leave him or forsake him. When Jesus came to earth, it was said that he was Emmanuel, God with us. It's not that God had not already been with his people by his grace and his favorable presence. Uh, He had already been with him. But with the coming of Jesus, we see the basis for God's gracious presence and blessing upon his people. How could God dwell among his people, a holy God 
among those born in sin and corruption. It's on account of the work of Jesus and his mediation. It is because of Jesus that we have God with us. And of course, we see with the coming of Jesus that he even became one of us, that he be both God and man to mediate between us. Through Jesus, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is through him that we have abiding fellowship with God. As the Lord was with Joseph, so he is with his people today. Despite the setbacks, despite the discouragements, despite the trials, his steadfast love endures forever, and he remains with you to sustain you and to bless you. So remain steadfast through trials and temptations, trusting in the steadfast love of the Lord. The Lord will be with his people through trials. Now we have several trials in this passage. There's the trial of slavery, the trial of temptation, and the trial of prison. Uh, Joseph, in some ways, uh, has a life similar to his father, who had one trial after another. So the Lord will be shaping and testing Joseph, though uh, not for any wrong that is described here that he would be punished for, but rather that he is being tested and tried, and uh, the Lord is with him through it all. First was the trial of slavery. God was with Joseph in his trial of slavery. The first six verses describe how he uh, was a slave in Egypt in a house of bondage, literally in a house of an Egyptian named Potiphar. And yet Joseph had success there through the blessing of God. Joseph had been sold into slavery, was far from the people of God, was without the supports of uh, God's people and uh, that fellowship. He had been separated by no choice of his own. Uh, Judah had chosen that of his own accord to go astray, and he had become more and more like the Canaanites until God intervened to turn him around. But Joseph was far from all those supports as well. Would he be faithful? Well, he had gone from being the favored son of a rich man to a slave in a foreign land. But God was faithful to him. He extended his covenant to Jacob's sons. Joseph walked in the faith of his father. And so even as God had promised and had been with Jacob wherever he went, I will be with you wherever you go. So the Lord was with Joseph wherever he went. And God blessed Joseph and made him a blessing to the Gentiles, even as God had promised to do so for Abraham and for his offspring, that I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And so now Joseph is blessed by God and is a blessing to the household of Potiphar. Although his brothers betrayed him, the Lord had not forsaken him. In fact, he ended up in the home of a very important person, the captain of the guard, the, the captain of, of the, the bodyguards. It involves a, a prison that's under his care, that uh, he is a, an important official in the land of Egypt. It was no ordinary Egyptian home that Joseph providentially ends up in. And his work was blessed by God, and so he was elevated it seems like there might be a progression here. First, he was elevated to work in the house and then to attend upon his master and then to oversee his master's house and all, their, and all his possessions. It wasn't simply to keep the house clean. This was a major operation. It involved home and field. This was, it was like a business as well. There were other servants that he was overseeing. He was second in command over a large operation, the home of a rich man the household of a rich man. And whatever was in his hands was blessed by God. 
Notice Potiphar's house is not blessed until Joseph is put over all of his house. It's whatever's under his charge, whether it's something little, whether it's something big. If it's in Joseph's hands, it prospered. It also implies that some time passes, enough for this prosperity to become evident, that even Potiphar recognizes that the Lord was blessing Joseph. So just as Laban's house had been blessed by God on account of Jacob's presence and work, so the house of Potiphar was blessed by God for Joseph's sake. And Joseph demonstrated the same reliability he had shown at home. Uh, Jacob had recognized that early on. Now the Bible, interestingly, does not give a lot of attention to what Joseph felt or, or even what Joseph did. It kind of implies that he was working because things were in his hands and prospering. So he was pressing on with his labors. It, it, it assumes really what Joseph was doing, that of course he was at work. His hands were diligent. But what it calls attention to is how God blessed the labor of his hands. Joseph was simply faithful and God gave him success even in the midst of this trial. So that he who was responsible in a little became responsible over much. It didn't necessarily mean Joseph was richer, but uh, he was placed in a position of great responsibility. So we can learn even from these first six verses. Uh, first of all, to rest upon the faithfulness of the Lord. He will be with those who trust in him. Uh, we really see Joseph's faith more proved by his works. It doesn't say Joseph believed God, but we find that he is devoted to the Lord, um, especially by what comes next in temptation. Uh, and so the Lord is with him, and the Lord was dependable. And we too should learn to rest upon Christ, and to know that he will be faithful, although all others fail. Secondly, learn to serve the Lord in your calling, wherever that is. Joseph was faithful wherever he was placed. And so God blessed his work in such a way that even Potiphar recognized the blessing of the Lord. In whatever station you occupy, fulfill it to the glory of God. Whether it seems high in the eyes of men or lowly. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. You know, wherever you are, whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor, whether you have a job that's well-respected or one that's despised, that is a place where you can serve God. Uh, you have a place, you have a place assigned to you. You know, he, he, Paul would go on to tell the slaves, if you can gain your freedom, if you have an opportunity here to be emancipated, you know, take it. You don't have to stay there. But you also can serve God there. You don't have to be discontent if you can't do anything about it. That is a place where you have the ability to serve God, to serve Christ. Um, and so do not let discontentment with your current situation hinder you. When the opportunity for a better situation comes, use it. I mean, Joseph advanced and was promoted. That is fine to desire and to take. But in the meantime, make the most of whatever position you have, whatever place in life. We have obviously a lot more flexibility, a lot more freedom than Joseph did. Joseph didn't get much choice. He was there. You have more choices. But none of us can really do whatever we want. We still have certain skills, certain place in life. And we should occupy that station 
uh, diligently as service to God. As Paul said in Colossians, serve the Lord Christ as you serve your master in that case. As you, as you serve other people, this is also service to Christ. So serve the Lord in your calling as, as Joseph did faithfully despite the crushing discouragement that must have been uh, pressing upon him, he endured. And then thirdly, learn from this initial passage to, to ascribe success to the Lord. It is from the Lord that success comes, that uh, our labors bear fruit. Call upon him, therefore, to bless the labor of your hands, to, uh, to, to establish and make effectual the work that you do for the good of others. And then give thanks to God when he does so. Have your labors prospered? Do not grow proud. You know, God warned Israel, if you, if you begin to prosper and get wealthy, don't think, oh, my strength and my hands have given me this wealth, but rather give thanks to God, to be humble, to be grateful. That's true for you too. You should not grow proud at success, but rather humble and grateful. Those who have fellowship with God through Christ receive their earthly blessings as gifts of their Father, not as stolen goods, not as goods that outlaws have plundered from the king who eat and drink in guilty pleasure, only storing up judgment for themselves, but rather we receive earthly blessings as gifts of our Father, as one who has received us in which we can enjoy in good conscience and use to his glory with gratitude and contentment. So if there was the trial of slavery, and Joseph endured. He pressed on, and the Lord was with him and sustained him in that trial. And he actually rose to be a powerful person, though he was still a slave in the household of Potiphar, um, to be the steward, the overseer of that place. The second trial was the trial of temptation. After being elevated to this position, Joseph was tempted to commit adultery. Really, all these trials were temptations to sin. Uh, Any difficulty is a temptation to give up, to go astray, to lose faith, to to take the easy way of compromise and sin. Uh, But this trial was a temptation in the sense that another person was trying to entice him to sin. Uh, that another person was trying to get him to sin. In verses 7 through 9, we find that Joseph rejected Potiphar's wife when she first approached him, where she was saying, lie with me, uh, commit adultery with me. Uh, He refused, and he also reproved her. He showed her her fault. He he explained why he wasn't going to do it and why she shouldn't do it. and then verse 10, we find that he remained firm, although he, she said the same thing day after day. Literally, in, it's in Hebrew, it's just yom yom, day day. From day to day, this was the case that she would uh, approach him and speak to him like this. But he remained firm. He refused to listen to her, to lie with her or to be with her. And then verses 11 through 12, we come to a climax there is great opportunity for this sin because no other, none of the men were in the house. They were alone in the house. He was there just doing his work. He wasn't going out of his way to be near her, but she took him by his garments, held fast to him, and again asked, uh, told him to lie with her. But he risked all rather than giving in. 
he got out of that garment. We don't know what, what garment it was. Perhaps it was his shirt or something like that. But he leaves that behind and he flees. He gets out of there and does not give in. But then in verses 13 through 18, Potiphar's wife uses that situation to falsely accuse Joseph, to accuse him of the very thing that she was attempting to do, uh, to accuse Joseph to her servants, to build up hostility toward him among them, to turn them against him as this Hebrew, as this foreigner who had come in, and also to kind of blame her husband too, as she does when she talks to her husband, like, see what you have done by bringing him here, to put the pressure on him to rectify the situation so that he is put in prison. And so Joseph ends up in prison, but he had not given in to temptation. Resist temptation like Joseph. This is a good example as one who remained faithful under trial. This is obviously most directly applicable to young men, but it's applicable to all the people of God to resist temptation of all sorts. He was probably in his 20s at this point. He was 17 or so when the story picks up about Joseph. Um, But he resists it, despite the power of his master's wife being the one who is pressuring him into it. He refuses. When others entice you to sin, refuse to do it. Be decisive. You don't have to be polite. Um, I mean, if you can be Uh, You don't have to be overly rude, but don't think, oh, I need to be polite and give way a little bit to make them satisfied. He he refused. He was decisive. He didn't leave wiggle room. Uh, He said no. Now, he didn't only say no. At least on the first occasion, he also explained why. He reproved the works of darkness, as, as Paul tells us to do. Do not take part in the works of darkness, but rather expose them or refute them and bring the light of of God's word upon them. That doesn't mean take all the works of darkness and always talk about them to everyone. That's not the point of that passage, but rather to to do what Joseph did right here, Uh, to seek to turn others aside from sin and and to reprove this both for, in this case, Potiphar's wife and for Joseph to remind him of why he wasn't going to do this and also to seek to persuade her to turn aside from this wickedness. He didn't necessarily say this every time uh, as she continued to speak to him. Afterwards, it just says he doesn't listen to her. But at least he bore witness to the true nature of this act that he refused to do so. So you could call that politeness, I guess, but it wasn't giving in at all. He was giving an explanation and was reproving this sinful suggestion. And learn from the reproof itself. He shrank back from the suggestion of sinning. That should be our approach to sin. How could I do this? That is preposterous. That is unthinkable. How could I do that? He put it in its true light that it's sin against God. So even if no one else would see, God would see. And that is reason enough to not do it. But it was also aggravated. It would have been even worse by being a betrayal of the trust placed in him by his master. You know, any sin is, is uh, evil and ought to be turned from. You ought to make no compromise with sin. But some sins are greater than others, and that's even more reason to stand fast against them, that this would have been wicked on multiple levels. And he 
he brings that out. He also says the obvious. She was Potiphar's wife. And that's why this thing was wrong. She belonged to him, that they belonged to each other, not to Joseph. Remember also from this that greater privileges do not put you above the law, but rather bind you to it more tightly. Some people, if they get elevated, they get greater responsibilities, they think, oh, now I have an excuse to have a little leeway and to fudge some details here and to use the position I have now um, and to, you know, get what I want. If you've been elevated, blessed, entrusted with responsibility, you have all the more reason to be more strictly faithful, uh, to be upright, to be held to account. Imitate Joseph, in other words, rather than Adam and Eve. Both Joseph and our first parents were given much. Remember, Adam and Eve were given all the trees in the garden. They were made in the image of God, given dominion over all the earth. Similar to how Joseph had been made overseer of all this household. Only one thing was withheld, right? There was only one tree in the garden that was forbidden. You know, it was uh, obviously Potiphar's wife was withheld from, from him. He was not over her, though he was over all the rest of the household. But our first parents reached for more. They grew dissatisfied and they took that one thing that was forbidden. But Joseph was loyal to his master and to his God. He was grateful to his master and his God, and he did not take it, resisted the temptation. Also learn from Joseph's example that you have need of endurance. It wasn't enough, and it is not enough to once reject temptation, but you must persevere and refuse to budge under pressure. Peter tells us to add to our self-control steadfastness. In Second Peter, add to your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and self-control, steadfastness. Make every effort to add steadfastness to your self-control, that it might endure, that it might persevere. Just because you rejected temptation once doesn't give you an excuse to give in to it the next time, like you did something meritorious, but rather persevere into it, uh, in it to the end. You never have an excuse to sin. And he remained firm under pressure. Learn from Joseph's example to flee sexual immorality, as Paul also exhorts us. Flee fornication. Flee sexual immorality. Flee, at least in a metaphorical sense, you know, vigorously avoid it. But also it can mean literally flee. Remove yourself from the situation, as Joseph did um, on that final occasion as Joseph wrestled himself free and fled out of the house. Remember the earlier readings from Proverbs 7 and 1 Corinthians 6 and the reasons that they gave for this particular sins of, of sexual sin. It's a, sexual immorality is a sin that shows up a lot in Genesis. It's like we just had other things going on in the previous chapter, right? There's uh, it's not something that the Bible whispers about that is kind of incidental that we make a big deal of for some reason. Rather, it's quite relevant today in our culture, but it's also quite relevant in Genesis. I don't expect our society to support you in your efforts to remain faithful. Some people will make fun of you or hate you for your efforts and your rejection of sin, of this sin in particular. There's general trends in our culture that would encourage or make light of sexual sin, 
particular situations or people who may entice you to sin in this way. But remember that sexual sin is destructive. God designed sex for marriage. That sexual sin is a sin against your own body, uniquely among all sins. That your body is meant for the Lord. That your body is a member of Christ. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So serve God, glorify God with your body as an instrument of righteousness, not for sin. Remember that the law not only forbids adultery, but also coveting your neighbor's wife, as Jesus also spoke of. Potiphar's wife first sinned by looking upon Joseph with lust before she then approached him. As our catechism puts it, the seventh commandment requires the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. Learn also from Joseph to, Joseph to risk your reputation and life rather than to give in to temptation. Joseph ended up looking sinful, even though he had, was only in that situation because he had refused to sin. Which is worse, being accused of sin or sinning? Obviously, you'd rather not have the appearance of sinning, right? But if you're going to choose, choose to not sin, because God is the one who is the most important audience, and he knows the truth. Joseph doubtless knew that it was dangerous to enrage his master's wife by rejecting her, that by fleeing from the house without his garment that could look suspicious, but it was worth hazarding to keep himself from sinning. As Calvin says, for no one will prove that he heartily loves virtue, but he, who being content with God as his only witness, does not hesitate to, dis to submit to any disgrace rather than decline from the path of duty. And so imitate Joseph here. He was devoted to God, acted in accord with the fear of God, knowing that God would know the truth. And so he remained loyal to his covenant Lord his Savior, the one who had been with him through his trials and would sustain him through this as well. And that led to the third trial, the trial of prison. God was with Joseph in his trial in prison. He was put in prison. It doesn't seem like he was even given a sentence, like he's just there in prison and he doesn't have a time where he's getting out. He was probably left there to rot. But he was successful there too through God's blessing. He was thrown into prison by his angry master. It was the place where the king's prisoners were confined. In fact, as we'll find out in, in passage, Potiphar had oversight over this prison. That's why he's thrown into this particular prison. Um, the keeper of the prison is a different person than Potiphar, but the keeper of the prison was probably under the chain of command that Potiphar was at the top of. Um, that this was part of Potiphar's work. He was the captain of the guard. And so he throws Joseph into this prison where the king's prisoners were kept. That's going to be significant later on when some of the king's prisoners make it there. But he's in this prison. He's kept there. As Psalm 105 recounts, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. He sunk lower than where he had begun in Egypt. He was in a new house of bondage. So consider how discouraging this must have been to Joseph, how overwhelming it must have felt for doing the right thing. What his reward seems to be is to suffer more. But God did not forsake him. The Lord was with Joseph. 
The Lord showed him steadfast love, that chesed, that faithful mercy that God shows his covenant people. And God gave him, God kind of expressed his presence and mercy to Joseph by giving him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And again, whatever Joseph did, he succeeded. Joseph uh, continued to work and God blessed his work. And so the keeper put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners and was able to trust him fully and didn't really have to worry about anything that was in Joseph's charge because Joseph took care of it and his work was blessed by God. And so as Joseph had risen within his father's household and as he had risen in Potiphar's household as to be an overseer, now he rose within the prison to become its overseer under its keeper. So learn that while suffering for righteousness' sake might not be pleasant, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God, and those who do so are blessed. It's an honorable thing. It's a noble thing. And the Lord did not abandon Joseph, but sustained him even in that suffering for righteousness' sake. Also learn that even among suffering and disgrace, to press on diligently in the place you find yourself. The same application about Pursuing one's calling, your place in life and fulfilling it to the glory of God works both in the prison as it does in Potiphar's house. Serve God in your calling, even if you found yourself in prison, even if you found yourself in a lowly circumstance, an undesirable circumstance. Love your neighbor. Seek to be useful to others. Leave a place better than what you found it. Joseph was diligent and useful even in prison, a help to the keeper. How many prisoners think that way? I'm going to make this a wonderful place as best as possible. I'm going to work and make the keeper happy by being so responsible. Love your neighbor. Be useful to others as service to God, wherever you are. Now, God's steadfast love endures forever, continuing amid trials, even at this lowest point. God remained his covenant Lord, his ally and protector, If you entrust yourself to the Lord, he will never leave you nor forsake you. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. So remain steadfast through trials, trusting in his steadfast love. The Lord will be with his people through trials. He is working out his purposes. Joseph's path to exaltation and eminent usefulness was through prison and disgrace. It's there, though, that he would meet the cupbearer, right? And the baker. Uh, This was God's path to bring him to Pharaoh. God had revealed to Joseph that he would be exalted at some point, but Joseph would have to walk by faith, not knowing how he would get there. He pressed on through the darkness, sustained by the presence and grace of God. You and I have been given the hope of glory as well, not in a dream, but in Scripture. We have Christ's promise that his church shall stand and advance in this age, and that those who believe in him will share in glory in the age to come. You and I do not know with what we will meet on the way, but we can rely upon the faithfulness of Christ. So be steadfast, press on, turning from sin, and serve the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we give thanks to you for your mercy and faithfulness that you uh, give us your grace and be with us to bless and to save us. 
We ask that you would indeed not only be with us, but to make us sensible of your favorable presence, that we might be comforted in trials, that we might stand fast in temptation, that we would be a witness to you and to your grace through your blessing, that we might be useful in a blessing to others, and that they might see your work and give glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.